So once again, it's page 1,220, uh, 1 Peter, chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Do keep that open, and uh, on the sheets there's a bit of an outline. I was assuming whether it's on the screens as well, but uh, on the sheets there's a bit of an outline if you would like to follow. Let me uh, lead us in prayer. Father, we ask that um, this uh, word on the page would make sense uh, to us as we read it, Uh, not as some sort of exercise in thinking about things, but Lord, that we might hear your word to us as individuals, but to us as a church, what it is that you desire for your church family. We want to be led and guided and directed by you, our God. So please would you be speaking to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, it is up on the screen. Thank you, Julian. What does good leadership look like? That's what I want to start us with today. What kind of leadership do we need in church, in the nation? It's particularly important for the nation, but uh, we're focusing on church, uh, both uh, here at St. Helens and I guess the Church of England as we think about the whole What kind of leader would you like to have? The kind of leader you would trust to direct things and you would follow what they were saying is the direction you should go. I'll give you a couple of alternatives. I think it's easy to choose between them. Would you rather have someone who looked really impressive, who just had the most compelling way of speaking that really moved you, but you knew that that person was corrupt? Or would you have someone who looked pretty ordinary, who sounded pretty ordinary, no better than you, but who is honest and faithful and a servant. second one's not as glamorous, is it? It's not the sort of person who's going to get their own chat show, but actually, isn't that the kind of leadership we need? Well, Peter uh, exemplifies it and then teaches it here at the end of his letter. If you look down, he writes, To the elders among you. He's teaching the kind of leadership that God wants, and it's strikingly different. Uh, After he's done that, verse 5, he's going to speak to everyone again. Um, But both sections, actually, the leadership section and the everyone section, they're all relevant to all of us, because if we're not leaders, then we are going to be led, and we need to know what good leadership looks like, 
so that we can make sure we're following good leadership and we're praying for those in leadership that they might be the kind of leaders that God wants them to be. So let's start there, verses uh, 1 to 5. Uh, leaders, uh, what kind of leaders are we supposed to be? We're supposed to serve God's people. That's what God honoring leadership is about. Uh, verse 2 talks about it, doesn't it? Uh, being a shepherd of God's flock under your care, watching over them. Um, It's about being a servant of others. Someone who doesn't just sort of sit on the sidelines and direct the flock, go over there. But someone who's with the people, making personal sacrifices for the good of the people that are being led. And it's striking, you see it in Peter, the way he speaks to these uh, fellow elders. He, He... to the elders among the, I appeal as a fellow elder. Now, think about who Peter was, one of Jesus' first disciples. He surely could have pulled rank on this church, couldn't he? Take it from me, I'm an apostle. This is how it should be. He could have done that, but he doesn't. He, he says, listen, I'm, I'm an elder, you're an elder. As a fellow elder, I'm appealing to you to be a shepherd, to be a servant like Jesus was. See, that's the example, isn't it? Jesus said... I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We're going to be remembering it later with bread and wine. But, but think about what Jesus did. It's a bit like, um, what Jesus did is a bit like when you go out and outside in summer and you find an ant's nest and you see them, they're all over the place. And, and, and imagine if you manage somehow to shrink yourself down and become an ant and go and experience life with your fellow ants. And then you thought, well, you know, I've got a lot to give these ants. I'm going to serve them during my lifetime. And then, and then the colony's under threat, and because you love them, you die for them to save the colony. Now, I can't imagine doing that either. I don't particularly like ants, let alone love them. But that is what Jesus did for us, isn't it? And doesn't that just underline how astounding God's love is and how different this model of leadership is that Jesus embodied and teaches the church leaders to follow. Be like him, says Peter, if you're a leader. Be shepherds of God's flock under your care. Then um, three times Peter says, not but. Uh, We're to serve God's people, verse 2, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. So in the church, we don't want leaders who are just leaders out of a sense of raw duty, or because nobody else will. We we don't want leaders who feel pressurised into agreeing to take on responsibility, whether it's serving tea and coffee, or whether it's Sunday club, or whether it's... Uh, crash or service leading, whatever it is, we don't want people who are doing it uh, because I ought to, I, I must. See? We don't want that. We don't, want, we don't want that for you. We don't want that for the church. If there's no one qualified and willing, then we've just got to trust God. Well, that thing doesn't happen at the moment. Because until he lays it on someone's heart who's able to run a crash or to do whatever else needs doing. Do you see what I mean? Do you see what God's saying here? It's got to be be a willingness to 
to serve God and to serve others, that it overflows. And if, if it's not there, if there's not the willingness, then we've got to wait and pray and look and maybe try and find someone uh, to come in and help. That's the first not, but the second is not, uh, verse 2 again, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. It's about our motivation, isn't it? Our motivation needs to be serving God, living for an audience of one, and so serving people. And the uh, alternative here is uh, money. Don't pursue anything else as another motivation, and particularly not money. Now that clearly applies to me as a paid Christian worker. It'll apply from next week to Andrew, who, when he gets ordained as curate, he will also be a paid Christian worker then. And I think it's one of the things that C of E is quite good on. There's a pretty flat pay structure throughout the Church of England. It doesn't depend on what size church you serve. And as far as I'm aware, it's pretty impossible to get rich working for the Church of England, let alone persuade you anyone to buy you a private jet. Um, ask me afterwards if you didn't get that reference. But we still need to guard our hearts. I need to guard my... Andrew, any of us who are paid to do a ministry role need to guard our hearts against the way that money twists and seeks to get some of our attention and some of our motivation and to be a little bit dishonest in some way. Guard against that, Andrew, Steve. Remind me, if ever you see it. Not pursuing dishonest gain. Eager to serve. That's it. Verse 3. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And that's again again about guarding our hearts against the way that power corrupts. I don't mean real power. You know, let's be realistic. We're not running the country here at St. Helens, are we? Uh, I just mean being in charge of anything we're in charge of can lead us into ugly territory. It might be the group leader for a group of six-year-olds. And we see him or her just being a little tyrant with those little six-year-olds, loving, bossing them around. Yes, you've got to do what I say because I'm the leader. Gosh. Horrendous thought, isn't it? Although we've all seen it, I imagine. Perhaps you see it every week with the boss in the workplace who's, who's like that. And often that's driven by an insecurity and, a, and ends up with an abuse of power. Well, not so Christian leadership, not so church. God wants us to have people who, do you see, that they, they should be an example. People who are growing in their faith in Jesus. Not they've got everything right. I was just trying to think, how am I an example? I'm an example where, where, I notice, where God shows me there's a gap and I'm not producing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control, then my example to you that I would say do follow is pray to God to fill the gap. That's what I've done over the years where I've noticed a gap in patience, for example. And I've just prayed and prayed and prayed, Lord, make me patient, make me more I'm sorry, Lord, I was impatient again there. Please grow that in me. Grow it by your Holy Spirit. And that's an, I'm giving you an example of the way that I want to be an example to others. Let's seek God. Let's be those who are seeking to grow in him if we're in leadership. Leaders serve God's people. Then verse 6 uh, and verse 5 to 6, that little section 5 to 7, uh, it flips back to all of us. And the first thing there is to, to submit to God's plans. That's there in verse 6. I don't know whether you're a planner, are you a planner? Are you planning ahead to the holiday? 
or maybe it's the holiday after that. Apparently that's the trick, is to come back from one holiday knowing when your next one is, and then it's still, still very good psychologically, apparently. Uh, maybe you're a planner in your career. You've got your stages. Oh, now I've got my degree, Sade, well done. Uh, and you've got your next stage and your next stage, and you're planning ahead to, uh, or maybe it's in terms of romance, we've got people planning their weddings here. Nearly there, guys, nearly there. 4th of August, it's all coming. Um, we've got... You've got the planning ahead to the next stage. You've got maybe people planning their retirement or planning the next project in retirement. Well, God, too, is a planner. He has a plan which includes you and me. It's planning our lives. And if we're his people, one Peter's talked about it, and he's had to, he's had to reassure the people he's writing to and us because God's plan for his people particularly is uh, not a particularly comfortable one. Again, if we think about the Lord Jesus, his life, he came into the world, he became an ant, he became one of us, a human, and he didn't have a life of sort of luxury and ease. He had a life where he went through suffering en route to doing God's will and re-entering God's glory. And just as that path that Jesus walked, uh, sorry, that was the path that Jesus walked, and so it is that that's the path that Christians will walk. That's God's plan. And you see it hinted there in verse 1, don't you, as Peter talks about the leaders, um, witness Christ's sufferings and then the glory. And it's this pattern right through the letter that we'll suffer in this world as we follow Jesus, just like he did. But um, verse 4, for example, when the chief shepherd appears, we'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So, verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourself, submit to God's plan, accept, okay, God's a planner, okay, Lord, what's the plan? Accept his pattern for life, for your life, and live for him. That's the call on us all, whatever the cost. It means that, notice there, if you're, verse 5, if you're younger, and I'll let everyone else, everyone decide, you know, whether that applies to you or not. But if you're younger, you've got to do something that's pretty difficult for younger people to do, which is to submit to the leadership of those who are older. Uh, Wasn't it Mark Twain who said, When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have him around. But when I got to 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learnt in the intervening years. I love that quote. For those of us who are older and have grown up with more structure in society, uh, structures of leadership being accepted and normal, Uh, That's not always assumed nowadays by any means. And and there are obvious reasons behind that, namely all kinds of leadership where power has been abused and leaders have let us down. So the younger generation grows up and goes, well, that doesn't really work very well. Maybe we'll just all be our own leaders. Well, God's answer to that is, well, we've had the first part, haven't we? Leaders be like Jesus, be servants. And the second part here is to all of us, to submit to servant leadership in the church. People who are working for your benefit to help you know God better are leaders who you should be listening to. All of us, even the young who find that hardest. 
But actually, if you look back again to verse 5, it's not just younger people need to eat some humble pie. We all do, desperately. Uh, Peter's taught us in this letter to love each other deeply. Here's the practical application. Be humble towards each other. Consider other people's needs as more important than your own, we read elsewhere. To actually be a group of people, a family of God, who say, you know what, you know, I'm not going to put myself forward, I just want to, what, what do you need? How are you, genuinely? It's difficult, I was, cha- I was asking people that question on the way in this morning, I realised I was just doing the how are you fine, how are you fine conversation. Ah, yeah, 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 great, okay. But actually we need to go deeper, don't we? We're not, and actually we want to serve each other, we want to be a family that loves each other, that humbles ourselves, first of all underneath God's almighty hand, And actually, once we've got that security in our lives, then we don't need to live out an insecure lording it over people who I want to be first. No, no, no. We can humble ourselves because we've got that security with God. Leaders serve God's people. All of us submit to God's plans. And finally, verse 7, speak to God about your problems. I love verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Or the old translation, cast all your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. There's a picture, isn't there, of, of saying, here are all my cares. Gosh, they're heavy. Here you are, Lord. I can't cope with this. Let me uh, cast them on you. Or like walking along carrying a rucksack. Or a big bag of shopping and your arms feel like they're going to fall off. Your shoulders are never going to be right again. And the friend comes alongside and says, I've got that. And you go, oh, oh, wow, I can stand up again. That's better. It's gone. It's being carried. Now, I'm not saying it always feels like that when we cast our cares on the Lord. And yet, it always feels like something when we do. When we speak to God about our problems, when we give them to him to carry, he is only too glad to help us, not necessarily to take them all away, but to help us to carry them, but sometimes to take them so that we're not worried anymore. And think about what's the alternative. What is the alternative when something's happening in your life, it's really getting to you, what are the other options other than casting it on the Lord? Well, one is to kind of try and forget about it, bury it, stick it on the shelf. Yeah, there we go, it's on the shelf. I'm not thinking about it, honestly. But of course, it's still there. Still in the background, churning, 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 taking our energy. Another option is to say, okay, I'm not going to pretend it's not there. I'm going to make it front and centre, this thing in my life. I'm going to think about it all the time. I'm going to go over and over and over and over and worry and worry and worry and... Gosh, that's exhausting isn't it? And still the problem doesn't go away. Peter says, get all of it and say, Lord, Lord, could, could you help? Could you take it? Could you, could you help me to think straight? Could you help me to sleep tonight? Could you give me the strength to get through another day? Lord, And that's what it is. It's instead of trying to carry that rucksack on your own, that shopping on your own, it's saying to the Lord, I need to cast it on you. And of course that's different from talking to a friend, isn't it? Telling God all about it. Uh, The difference is the friend will give you an instant answer. The, the, The advice the friend gives might be 
not that helpful, but you will get an instant answer from a friend. With God, it's, well, it's been helpfully said that um, when we talk to God, um, we speak to God on the phone, it gets through first time, every time he's never engaged. Uh, God speaks to us in a letter, uh, the Bible, and that, and that takes... That takes more time. We've got to be patient to hear what he says. And, and actually, it's one of the key things we do in church, isn't it? We help each other because we come together and we're talking about stuff and someone will remember, oh, gee, you know, God says something about that in the Bible and we pass it on to another person. We remember the promise and then we turn it into prayer. But as well, if you remember chapter 4, verse 14, it talks about the spirit of glory and of God resting on you and actually indwelling us is what Jesus teaches. And so, yeah, sure, you don't get an instant answer like chatting to a friend, but actually God knows us within and can minister to stuff deep at a deep level in the place where we need it. And so it is that we, we go to God, we go to his word, we help each other to remember it, we pray out whatever's going on, giving it over to God, and we pray in whatever God says. Pray out what's going on. Pray in what God says, what he promises. We say to him, Lord, thank you that you care for me. That's what we read in front of us, isn't it? Or verse 10. Thank you for promises that, well, like verse 10, gosh, that after all the difficulties I face in this life, I've got the certain promise of glory with Jesus forever. I'm so looking forward to that day. Lord, please help me today, another day in the office, and I hate it. Please help me to have that eternal perspective on my situation. Please help me, Lord. I'm, I feel just overwhelmed with this pain of whatever it is I've got at the moment. Well, help me to remember, even now, your goodness and put, me hope, help, put my hope in your promises. See, I'm trying to give examples there of how we pray out honestly, cast it on God, but we pray in his promises. That should be our first instinct. Let, let that be our first instinct. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Well, this uh, we've read this morning is God's purpose for his family, his church. For anyone in leadership, it's to serve God's people. For all of us, it's to submit to God's plans and speak to God about our problems. That's how we live faithfully in a world which will mean suffering now as we live towards the glory of Christ's return.